kicking into a new message series called Tell the World. And uh, so we're going to be on this for a, a couple of weeks. And uh, and so as, as the title says, we're going to be talking about sharing our faith and what does that look like and why do we share our faith. And, you know, and, and it's a pivotal part of our life as a believer uh, is that it, it's not just enough to just get saved and just come to church is that we actually have to be vocal about what we believe because something happens on the inside of us when we begin to share our faith. And so I want to share some things with you today. Just kind of setting the stage, setting the, the groundwork, if you will, a little bit for what we're going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks. But uh, I'm going to start in Mark chapter 16. I'm going to read you a couple of verses here because I believe that this is the pivotal question for every one of us when it comes to sharing our faith. And so we're not going to read the full context of it, but we're just going to kind of jump right in. But Jesus is talking to the disciples and he's asking them, who do people say that I am? In other words, hey, what's the word on the street? What are people saying about who they think that I am? And they're, they give their kind of the dialogue back and forth as to who different things are. But then Jesus asked a very pointed question to Peter, or actually asked them, and he says, uh, who do you say that I am? And that is the pivotal question. It's not who do I think that Jesus is in your life. The pivotal question is who do you say that Jesus is? Because whatever you believe about him is the degree to which he can work in your life. Let me give you an example of this. If you don't believe that Jesus is a healer, guess what he probably will not be able to do in your life? Why? We were just singing it. You said it. I believe it. I receive it. like, And so Jesus can only be to us what we believe him to be. If we don't believe that he can actually save us from our sin, we won't come to him. We believe that because of his death burial, because of what he's done, that he can pay the price for our sin. Therefore, we come to him. Well, this is, and so it's a pivotal question that we have to ask ourselves. Is who do, who do we say that Jesus is? And so Simon answers and says that you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. He says, you did not learn this from any human being. And he says, so I say to you, Peter, which means rock, upon this rock, I will build my church and the powers of hell will not conquer it. And he goes on, he talks about giving them the authority that Jesus walked in. But yet, here Jesus is making an important statement. Number one, he said, Peter, you're not smart enough to figure out who I am on your own. Nobody told you this. He said, this had to be revelation that came from heaven directly to your heart. And so he's saying, hey, Peter, you stumbled on the right answer. Congratulations. I am the Messiah, which was a big deal to, to us We're like, well, duh, of course Jesus is the Son of God because we're looking at it from the backside. But they had been waiting for thousands of years for the Messiah to come. We look at it kind of in the rearview mirror going, isn't it so obvious? Have you ever had a situation that happened in your life and then after the fact you look back on it and be like, man, that was just as... I don't know why I couldn't see it, but looking backwards, it's crystal clear. Well, that's the way we look at Jesus. Is that we see him in the rearview mirror and it's like, how could anybody not believe that Jesus was Jesus? But how many things are we missing that are right in front of us too? And we're going to be talking, and so that's part of what we're going to be talking about and sharing about over these next couple of weeks is that I believe there's opportunities sitting right in front of us all the time that we're just, because we're too busy, we're too focused on other things, 
But you, do you realize that as a Christian, this is your primary responsibility? Is to actually tell people about Jesus. It's not just my job. I have a part to play in that. But here, and, and Jesus even makes the statement. He's like, well, why is this important? And Jesus says, he says, I, he says, Peter, you're right. I am the Messiah. I am the one who came to pay the price of, of all of men's failures. And he says, but upon this revelation, I will build my church. Upon what revelation? That Jesus is who the Bible says that he is. And that's important. But we have to understand who the Bible says that he is, why he came, and what he accomplished for us. And and here's why it's important. You can't tell somebody else what you don't know. And you can only present a Jesus that you believe. And this is important. And so, you know, here Jesus says, he, he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. And sometimes we can take that verse and be like, oh, well, Jesus builds his church. Jesus builds his church through his church. He doesn't do it. He uses us. We get to be a part. We get to participate. Jesus says, hey, I want you to get off the bench and get into the game. Why? Because God, and he really wants to speak and use us. And I believe that he has strategically placed us at our jobs, in our neighborhood, in our circle of friends, in our families, in every sphere of influence of our life is to be used and utilized for the kingdom of God. To build the church. You're like, well, you know, and I know sometimes in church we can have thoughts like, you know, we talk about the kingdom of God. Like, well, what is the kingdom of God? It's the family of God. It's really uh, those who have surrendered and submitted their heart to the Lord. But in a kingdom, the king rules. In other words, what the king says goes, right? Isn't that the way that a monarchy works? Is it, well, I know that we're Democrat and I know we're American. Praise God. I love my freedoms. But if I'm not careful, my understanding of my American rights can actually get in the way of my... Christian responsibilities at times is that Jesus is a king and he rules and he reigns and he's in charge and not me and so this is important that we understand these things and but he goes on he says that he would build his church he says and and let me say it in my vernacular in my David translation there's nothing hell can do to stop me If the devil could have stopped Jesus, he would have stopped him from ever getting out of that grave. And the Bible actually tells us, had the devil even known, he would have never crucified Jesus. He would have just let him keep preaching and doing miracles and just let him live his life until he died. But he didn't know. And he thought, man, I've got to get rid of this. This is a problem. And the thing what what Satan thought that he was taking care of when he got rid of Jesus... Was that what he actually did was open the door to an army of believers that would long outlast Jesus. And so now we have this responsibility. And so in Luke chapter 10, Jesus, this is where he's sending out his disciples. And he's starting to challenge them to go out and to begin to tell the story about what they had seen. In one place he actually told them, go and tell what you have seen and what you have heard. You know, even um, John the Baptist's disciples came to Jesus. He sent them and said, hey, go and see if he's the Messiah. Which John already knew that, but yet there was obviously some question for him. For whatever reason. And so they, his disciples came back with the response of, hey, all we know is that the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. And 
He was like, I can only tell you what I've seen. And so here in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is sending out 72 disciples. And it says that he sent them ahead in pairs to all of the towns and the places that he planned to visit. So in other words, he just said, hey, you guys go ahead of me. I'm going to follow. I'll be there shortly. It says, and these were his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the laborers, the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into the field. Now go and remember that I am sending you out as lambs among wolves. Now we don't like that last part. Because especially in the day in which we live, you know, we've got cancel culture and we've got all these things that are happening culturally. And, and you know, even the opposition to the gospel and the, you know, people are like, look, you can be a, a Christian, just be quiet about it. That is the culture in which we live. And yet here, Jesus says, look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. How many of you know that's not a fair fight? And yet Jesus says, hey, I'm sending you out this way. And yet he, he says here that the harvest is great, but the laborers, the workers are few. And I believe what can happen sometimes is, and this is what I would submit to you, is that maybe we actually need to stop asking God to send more laborers and more harvesters out and start asking God to open our eyes to the harvest that's actually right in front of us. Because maybe we're the harvesters that we're praying for. And God's saying, hey, all I need you to do is to focus and to change the way and what you're looking at and, and stop overlooking the opportunities that are right there. Have you ever had this happen like where you're driving down the road one day and all of a sudden you maybe see a building or a business and it's like, where did that come from? I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And you ask somebody about it and they're like, oh, it's been there a long time. I know it has and I drive by that every day. Why? Your mind and your, let me say it this way, your eyes don't have a reason to recognize it. But what happens when something becomes primary in your thoughts, your eyes will say, this is important. And I believe this is what we need to do. You know, over the last month and whatever, I've been sharing with you about really experiencing God personally. Because I believe that's very important. Why? Because you shouldn't go tell somebody about a Jesus that you don't really know. But when you've encountered Jesus and, it, it, and he's made himself real to you and alive on the inside of you, now you have a story to tell. You have a reason. Why? Because just like you were lost, there are people who are lost. Just like you were broken, there were people who were broken. Just like people who, we were saying about that have no hope. You have hope. You have a reason to believe that regardless of what I see in the newspaper, regardless of what I see on the internet, is that God is still in control. God is still working and bringing about his plan and his purpose and we shouldn't be freaked out by what we see. I mean, this was in the news this week. I'm sure some of you probably saw this, but this is pretty telling to me. Is that we had one of our... Prominent leaders go to another nation this week and China basically said, you better kiss her before she leaves. I don't know if you saw that. That's pretty blatant. And they were, as she's landing, they're running operations all in airspace. They're not supposed to be. You're like, well, that's not significant. According to the Bible, it is. Because they're a major player 
in the end times. And they're beginning to be emboldened. I mean, in ways that they never would have done in the past. You're like, oh, you're talking politics. No, I'm talking Bible. And nations are aligning. In the last couple of years, I believe there were five, five or six nations, five, I'm pretty certain on there may have been a six, that signed peace agreements with Israel. They've never been friendly for thousands of years, and all of a sudden, they're signing what's called the Abraham Accords, which are saying, hey, we're your buddy. It's in the Bible. God told us even hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of years ago, these nations are going to be aligned, and these nations are going to be aligned. I mean, what we see happening with Russia right now, it's in the Bible. So it shouldn't freak us out. It should just be like, hey, we need to pay attention. Jesus actually said, when you see these things begin to happen, look up, pay attention. Why? He says, because your redemption is coming near. Now, when is Jesus coming back? I don't know. I personally don't believe that he's coming back this year. I've heard all kinds of things this year, next year, 2028. Everybody has their predictions. This is what I know. I have one life to live. And I have one sphere of influence that I get to impact. And Jesus isn't going to ask me, how did you live your life according to when you thought I would come back? He's going to ask me, how did you live your life? And that's all that's going to matter. And and so, but, but... Even biblically speaking, we can see that there are signs and there are things. You're like, oh, but there's always been signs. And the Bible actually talks about this, that men would be scoffers saying, oh, we've been told this for thousands of years. The problem is we have as many scoffers in the church as we do outside of the church now. Here's the difference. We've never had this many signs all happening at one time. And so, you know... My calendar, God's calendar, I don't know. I don't have a a definitive answer. Now, I will tell you this, because I know some people say, oh, no man can know the day or the hour. But the Bible also says that this day will not overtake us like a thief. In other words, I may not know when, but I'll be like, God's up to something. Something's happening. Something's going on. I, I don't know what it is, but something has shifted. That's why you need to know the whole Bible, not just a verse here and there. It's important. And say, so, well, why does that matter? Because, look, I used to run track when I was in middle school and high school. And I wasn't a great sprinter. Like, I wasn't the 40-yard dash. I wasn't the 100-yard. I wasn't that. But I would run the 400, the 800, the 1600. And I was never in first until the last turn. Why? Because when I could see the finish line, I could push faster and I could push harder. And many times around that last turn, when everybody else is gassing out, I'm getting going. And they look like they're just kind of falling back. Why? Because they are. And what I'm saying is, as believers, is that we have to understand what the Bible has to say, what the Bible's telling us. We have to really understand and rightly understand the time frames in which we live, understanding that there is a finish line, and we need to what? Not gas out in the end. We need to pick up the pace. Why? Because people's eternities are in the balance. And that's important. And so, you know, so I do submit to you that question, though, is that maybe we need to start asking the Lord to open up our eyes to see that which is right in front of us.
Because the harvest is plentiful. I mean, we don't hear about it, and I wish that we did. But Christianity across the world as a global is exploding right now. I don't want our nation to be left out. And I believe that God is working in the midst of our nation. But there's revival all over the world happening right now. That's also one of the signs is that Jesus said, Hey, in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. God is moving and God is working and yet we can completely miss it because we're just looking down. That's why it says lift up your eyes and look. There's a harvest that is ready. We need to be like Isaiah who when God revealed himself to Isaiah, his response was here I am Lord, send me. Use me, I'm available. Put me in coach, I'm ready. If you ever played sports and you were sitting on the bench and you wanted to play... You know exactly the feeling I'm talking about. It's like, just let me in. Just let me get in. Let me get in. In John chapter 4, starting in verse 35, Jesus talking to the disciples says, You know the saying, four months between planting and harvesting. And I say to you, wake up and look around. The message translation says it this way. I'm telling you to open your eyes and take a good look at what's right in front of you. Pay attention. Pick up your pick up your eyes. Because I can tell you what matters to Jesus is not politics. Let me just give you a little understanding of this. You want to know what Jesus said about the Roman government? One thing. Pay your taxes. I know you came to church for that. They were way more corrupt than our government ever thought about being. They were way more brutal. Jesus does not care about politics. Why? Because he's got a primary thing on on his mind. Which is what? People. Souls. That's important. That's how we build the kingdom of God. It's by reaching another person. And the number one way of evangelism in the world right now is actually personal invitation. It's not even bringing people to church. Although I think that, that can be used as part of it. In other words, the greatest thing that you can do to win people to Christ is to share your story. Why? Because people know you. They believe you. They trust you. They know you. And you may think, well, that's not a good thing. So change it. You have the power of God on the inside of you that can cause you to grow and develop into the image of Christ, the Bible says. It's not behavior modification. It is transformation by the Spirit of God on the inside of every one of us. And here, Jesus is talking and he's saying, look, you understand planting and harvesting. But he's saying, you have to look up. I love the way the message says that. It's open up your eyes and take a good look to what's right in front of you. I'm keenly aware right now of the clutter in my home. Because I just moved and I'm thinking, why am I moving this junk again? And sometimes we don't know until we really start looking. And I believe that, and this would be a good exercise for you, is to pray and ask the Lord. Help me to see those around me that I'm not seeing. Give me a heart of compassion. That I would see the people that I go by every day. That they're just a blip on my radar. But, but for some reason they're going to... They're going to catch my attention. 
And you can start praying for them. You can, I mean, there, and I'll tell you some ways to do these things, some steps you can take. These scriptures go on. It says that the fields are already ripe for harvest. It says the harvesters are paid good wages. And the fruit that they, that they harvest is people brought to eternal life. So Jesus isn't just speaking theoretically here. He tells us exactly what he's talking about. He says, look, people are ready to receive the gospel. They just need to hear. That's what Romans talks about. How can they believe unless they've heard? How can one hear unless someone is sent? So if there's any question, I'm sending you out today. As a follower of Christ, you have been sent to share the good news about Jesus. So that what? So that people can come to the knowledge of Jesus and they can access eternal life. It goes on, it says, Oh, what joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. I've got good news for you. It may completely freak you out and you get just anxiety about sharing your faith. But what I'm telling you is on the other side of that step of obedience and on the other side of that step of faith, there is real joy. Like that I can't explain to you. When you get to actually lead somebody to Jesus. You say, man, I'm not there yet. That's fine. But there's a, there is a step that you can take. We always, I mean, almost every week we talk about your next steps. This might be your next step is to lead somebody to Christ. You say, well, but does that mean that I pray with them? Maybe, maybe not. It may just be living your life in a way that makes them hungry. And when they ask questions, you've got some answers. And if somebody else leads them in salvation, you did your part. It's not about how many people have I prayed with this week. Oh, I've got to get the notch on my belt. Jesus isn't going to be happy with me. It's not about that. It's about doing our part. He goes on, he says, you know the saying, one plants and another harvest. And it's true. He says, I sent you to harvest where you've not planted. And others have, done the, have already done the work. And now that you will, you will get to go gather the harvest. We hear this terminology right now a lot in the news, but we have a worker shortage. It's not just a natural problem. It's a kingdom problem too, because we need some workers. Because it's not my job to save your friends. Can I say that any clearer? And look, I can't save them. You can't save them. But I can lead them to Jesus. You can lead them to Jesus. And the Bible gives us instructions. See, I believe that the enemy has done such a great job of convincing the church, as a, the, the big church, that, that the work of ministry is actually reserved for the professional Christians. People like me. Like, oh, well, you're a pastor. That's your job. Now, my job, according to Ephesians, is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. What's the work of the ministry? Reaching people. So it's my, my responsibility is to help teach and train and equip you so that you know how to do it effectively. I mean, there are good ways to reach people and there are some not so great ways to reach people. I've shared this story many times, but when I was in college, I worked at UPS. I worked in the shipping in the back, so I was one of the sort people. You know, packages come in in the morning. 
We send them out. They go to the belt, all this stuff. Then we send them out to the truck. So when UPS shows up at your house, three or four people have touched that package that morning. Spray it down with some Lysol or something, whatever. But I was there. I was also in Bible school at the time, but I was a broke college student. I needed some money, so I went and worked at UPS. But I had a guy that I knew who also worked there, and he was a, a, a rabid follower of Jesus. He was very passionate, very outspoken, but he would run around in the morning yelling scriptures at people. And just, I mean, just goofy stuff, honestly. Just be like, y'all better stop, y'all going to hell. I mean, just crazy stuff. I mean, just all the time. And I'm just there doing my job. Doing my job, doing my job. But even in doing, because I can tell you, everybody didn't like that guy. Because I heard what they said about him when he turned the corner. And he would literally be running through just saying random stuff. And nobody liked him. But there were many guys that were on my belt... Because a lot of times I would work shoulder to shoulder with guys. I mean, maybe an arm width apart. And so we're just sitting there moving boxes. That's kind of boring. And they would begin to ask me questions and say, hey, there's something about you. What's different? And look, I'm not glorifying me. I'm just telling you, if you live your life in a way that honors God, it speaks for itself. And it will create some questions in those around you. And I got to pray with many of those guys. And I got to to have conversations with many of those guys. Not because I was annoying. That's tip number one. If you're annoying, people don't like you. That's usually not good. So let's not be annoying. Let's not be weird. I mean, we are different. We are peculiar, sure. But it's important that we actually take on the responsibility as personal. Like, it's not just Pastor David's job to build the kingdom of God. It's my job, like personally. It's your job, personally. I mean, because, okay, let me say it another way. What if I only talked about and really lived out God on Sunday mornings and what I preach? But tomorrow I was like, nah, that's just my job. I would be a hypocrite, right? Because I would stand here and tell you what to do and then walk out and just do whatever I wanted to do anyways. See, we, we can reduce our Christian life to just a job, just, but that's not really what we're called to do. We have to make this a personal responsibility. And I believe the enemy has been masterful at convincing us somebody else will do it. Somebody else will do it. Somebody else will pray for them. Somebody else, somebody else. Somebody. And that's, that's the thought that he sends to us. At some point, we have to say, no, I'm going to. I'm going to take the responsibility. So let me ask you some questions here. What would you say if someone asked you why you go to church? What would your response be? And by the way, you might want to take some time and think about these this week and maybe even answer them. If somebody asks you, like, well, why do you go to church? It's like, well, I don't know. And Jesus is my Lord, and I guess I just go to church. That's not a very inspiring answer. And Jesus, let me say it another way. Jesus did not save us to just go to church. 
That wasn't the goal. I believe one of the answers could be this. It helps me follow Jesus. So you want to actually have a response that creates a question in them. You actually want to give a response that's actually maybe a little different than everything they've heard their entire life. What do you mean follow Jesus? I mean, Jesus talked about that to his disciples. He says, if you will come and follow me, he said this to Peter and James, he said, if you will come and follow me, I will make you fishers of men. They understood fishing for fish, but yet he had a different assignment for them. He has a different assignment for us. And, and I believe that sometimes people may even ask, what do you mean by follow Jesus? What does that mean? What does that look like? See, the goal is not, okay, well, I'm following Jesus, so now I'm just going to start going to church. Church is not the end goal. It's part of our life. It's not the goal. The goal of the church is actually to help us to follow Jesus and to equip and to energize us to actually share our faith. That's part of why we gather. Why? Because we can come together and as we worship and as we hear the word of God, it actually charges up our spiritual batteries so that we can now go into the world and begin to make a difference. This is who we're called to be. So you're like, well, well, how do I do this? Like practically, how do I share my faith? And what does that look like? The simple answer is you just need to tell people your story. Why do you come to church? Why do you follow Jesus? What has he done in your life? What changed from before I knew Jesus to now? What was the difference? What shifted in you? What happened in you? That is your testimony. Because here's the truth. I don't care if you got saved at 6, 36, or 60. None of us were deserving of Jesus. And we all have a testimony. Why? Because we were born into sin. Impossible to please God in our sin. And yet Jesus came. Now some of us have a little more colorful story than that. Anybody? Anybody got a colorful story? I'm not going to ask you to share it. How many, how many of you that Jesus saved from some mess? Some self-inflicted goofiness. You have a story. And your story is worth sharing. The enemy would love to, to try to trap you into saying, Yeah, but if people knew, they're going to judge you. They already do anyways. <laughs> going to tell them they don't already know so let me say it this way is that when you tell your story you get to determine the the narrative that is discussed as opposed to them filling in the blanks you can say this is who i was this is who i am now and let me tell you why this is what happened this is what i've experienced first peter chapter 3 verse 15 says this it says always everybody say always Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be ready to share your faith. Always be ready. In other words, always have an answer. So again, that question that I gave you a few minutes ago. Why do you follow Jesus? Going back to the very beginning, who do you say that Jesus is? Be ready to give that answer. And here's what I know. If you haven't thought about it, you're not ready to give an answer. 
So you need to think about it. Why? Because the Bible tells us always be prepared. Be ready. And look, I've been on the other side of this where somebody comes and asks me a question. I'm like, let me get back to you on that. And there's going to be questions that come that you're not going to know. That's fine. But I'm saying, why do you believe in Jesus? Why do you follow Jesus? Why do you come to church? These are questions that you need to answer. And some of you may come to the answer of, I don't know. You need to find out. Like why? I've never really had a salvation experience. I mean, I grew up in the South just like you, or most of you anyways. Everybody's saved, right? The problem is, is no, they're not. Many people believe they are, but in reality, they've never surrendered their heart to the Lord. So we can actually be in danger of eternal damnation in hell because we thought we were saved. Because, well, I grew up in church. Church doesn't save you. Jesus does. Your family members' prayers don't save you. Jesus does. Having perfect church attendance does not save you. Jesus does. And many people have bought into a religious view of salvation. A church view of salvation. And yet the Bible speaks very clearly. You have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to confess with your mouth that he is Lord and you will be saved. This is important for us to understand that this is part of our responsibility as believers. And you may be here thinking, man, I barely know what I believe. Why would I go tell somebody else? It will help you figure out what you believe. It will actually force you into having some answers. That's not a bad thing. I mean, there's an old quote that talks about who learns the most, the teacher or the student? The teacher. Because to teach it, you got to know it. So I don't care if you got saved last week. Go find you somebody to start sharing Jesus with. Here, I'm making it easy for you. Just go find anybody who knows less than you. You're like, I got a week under my belt. You don't know nothing. You're going you to work just fine. And the flip side of that is some of us have been serving the Lord a long time. And we got a wealth of knowledge. We just ain't shared it with nobody. It says, me and Jesus. Me and Jesus. You got saved to leave an impact on people. And I don't want to get to heaven and stand before Jesus and he say, Hey, let me show you the impact of your life. And I, and I start crying going, that's it? That's really all it amounted to? Now, I personally believe that when we get to heaven and we answer that question, I think we'll be blown away by the impact of our life. Because I believe that as a follower of Christ, that we've been sowing seeds. We've been watering those seeds at times. We just never got to see the harvest. And God says, oh, that's, that's still on your tab. You still did your part. That person that you shared your faith with and they were ugly to you and they were nasty to you and and you thought, man, I just totally, that was totally wasted. You didn't see five years down the road when they were at their bottom and they remembered the words that you said to them and all of a sudden somebody else got to harvest the seed that you sowed, but you still get credit for that. I think we'll be blown away and think, man, 
I had no clue the impact of my life. What if we lived very intentionally about sharing our faith? How much more impact could we have? The Passion Translation of 1 Peter 3.15 says this. says, if anyone asks you about the hope living within you, always be ready to explain your faith. And this is an important part that I believe that at times that we've kind of forgotten about, especially in the day in which we live, with gentleness and respect. I don't have to go yelling at people, turn or burn. Get right and get left. I mean, you know, there's all these phrases. Y'all ever heard these? How many of you know what I'm talking about? You're like, oh, I grew up in that church. I know what that is, you know. Share your faith with gentleness and respect. You know, just dealing with somebody with gentleness and respect today would make you stand out. What a concept. Just be nice. We don't have to shove the gospel down people's throat. We just want to set the table and say, hey, if you're hungry, it's here. It's available. If you don't want it, that's fine. But here. So I encourage you, my challenge to you this week. So you got some homework. I know you came to church for that. To answer the question, why are you following Jesus? Sit down, write it out, type it out. You need to answer that question for yourself first. And your conclusion may come to, I'm not. I'm not following Jesus. Then you have a a, a next step. You've not received salvation yet. And that is, you got to lead yourself to salvation before you can lead somebody else. But you may be culturally saved, but you ain't saved according to the Bible. Look, I prayed to get saved many times. It just didn't make a difference for a long time. Like, well, how do you know? This is just my observation from reading scripture. But this is, I see it time and time again in the Bible. When people encountered Jesus, they changed. It, it, not all at once, not this like 180 degree turn. But when I, got, when I really got saved, I really connected with Jesus. My desires began to change. The things that I wanted began to change. My goals began to change. The way I spent my money began to change. Things begin to shift in my life. Why? Because he became the priority. I started reading the Bible like I wanted to. Not that I understood it, but I wanted to read it. And the Holy Spirit began to help me to understand. So these are important things to ask. And and, and so you write it out. Why? So that when somebody asks you, you've got an answer. You don't have to think about it. You may be like, hold on, let me pull up my little thing on my phone. Let me read you what I wrote. This is why I'm following Jesus. I've shared this many times with you, but it's such a powerful truth. Is that we haven't only been saved from something, which is sin. Jesus saved us from our sins, but he also saved us for something as well. He saved us so that we could, what? Build the church. We could influence those around us. In um, Matthew chapter 5. 
Starting in verse 14 through verse 16, I'm reading that in the message uh, paraphrase. It says this, here's another way to put it. He says, you're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. No, we're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think that I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? Says so I'm putting you on a lampstand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop on a lampstand, he says, shine. Let your light shine before men. Is the way one scripture says it. That they would glorify God even for your good deeds. Let your light shine. If you grew up in church, you sang the little song, this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. I mean, no, I'm talking about Come on, church people, y'all. Y'all know. And you had the little hand motions. You know, okay. Some of y'all wasn't that saved at, at a kid, but. No, we're not to put it under a bucket. We're to what? Let our light shine. Let me say it another way. Let your life shine. Let your life shine before people. I love this last part, and I think this can be challenging for us at times, but it says, keep open house and be generous with your lives. In other words, be willing to share who you are with other people. Be generous with your life. By opening up to others, you'll, prom- you'll prompt people to open up with God, the generous Father in heaven. Let me say it another way. Before many people will meet Jesus, they need to meet us. And when they find out that the reason that we're the way we are is because of Jesus, they will want to meet Jesus. Many people have had very negative experiences with Christians. And the devil has utilized that to to create this separation. And and so, I, I love what it says. When I'm open with my life, I'll prompt people to be open with God. In other words, I'm saying, when they open their heart to me, they'll open their heart to him. When they open their heart to you, they'll open their heart to him. Why? Because he's in you. He's in you. Romans chapter 1 verse 16, very famous passage of scripture. But this is important to, to, to just set the tone for what we're going to be sharing over the next couple of weeks. The apostle writes and says, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. In other words, I will not keep quiet. Why? Because the gospel, the news about Jesus, the story about Jesus, it is the power of God that saves men and women's lives. Those who are broken don't have to be broken. Those who are lost can be found. Those who have all kinds of issues, Jesus can take care of them all. Those who are lonely can actually find a place of belonging. This is who Jesus is. This is what he wants to do. And so what happens is that the enemy will try to get us silenced in our faith. Trying to get us to not talk about it. Why? Because if they can't hear, they can't be saved. And if he can just keep us quiet, the gospel never goes forth. And yet the Bible here says that I'm not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed to say that I believe in Jesus. Look, opposition may come. That's fine. Let me say it this way. Expect it. Don't be surprised by it. Let 
That doesn't mean that we, and again, be nice. If they're ugly, the Bible said count, it, count yourself worthy. I think we need to get used to a little bit of persecution. We've been very blessed in our nation. We haven't had a lot of pushback. But it's okay. We're built for this moment. You're built for this moment in history. God saw fit of all of time that you should be here right now. Which tells me he built you for this. There's no opposition. There's nothing that the enemy can do that you can't handle. You're like, man, it sure seems like it. Trust me, I understand, but am I, are you trying to do it in your own strength? Or are you trying to do it with the help of the Lord? So let me give you five quick tips. Let me just give this to you quickly. When sharing your faith. These are just practicals. They'll be up here on the screen for you. Number one, I think, is maybe the most important one. Be yourself. You ever been with somebody and they go to pray and they're joking around and talking and all of a sudden they go to pray? Oh, dear Lord. I'm like, you don't even talk like that. Be yourself. Like, don't change your tone. Like, my wife has helped me with this over through the years because she talks about people's preacher voice. And so if she's like, "Mm, that ain't the David I know, cut it out. So my wife helps me. She, she's more gracious than that. But she talks about that. When you're sharing your faith, be you. God made you a certain way. Why? Because you're going to attract certain people. So why change it to try to introduce them to Jesus? Jesus made you the way you are. So be yourself. Don't change your tone. Don't change your vocabulary. Don't Just be you. People know you. They believe you. Don't change. Be yourself. Number two, be honest about where you were and what Jesus has done for you. Be honest. Don't try to sugarcoat it. If you were a fool, say, I was a fool. Man, I was stupid. Just own it. Why? It's your past. You don't have to be ashamed of it. It's been redeemed. It's forgiven. Why be ashamed of it? God delivered you out of darkness into light. It's a story. It's a testimony. And it has power. Some people are going to think, man, I mean, I, my best friend in high school, when I got saved, told me this. If you could get saved, anybody gets saved. And my thought was, is I wasn't that bad. And then he started naming a few things. I was like, okay, you got a few things on me, fine. Let's talk about you, sucker. Like, you know, no. But be honest. Don't, don't try to sugarcoat your past. Just, yes. I mean, Look, no, I, I don't believe any of us were as bad as Saul, who murdered Christians. And then he, he wrote later, I have wronged no man. Okay. Murder's pretty high up on the list of not being nice. <laughs> and he said, I have wronged no... Like, how could he say that? Because his conscience has been cleared. See, your past is nothing but a memory. It's not who you are today. The enemy wants to say your past is who you really are, and that's not true. Who you really are is a child of God that has been bought by the blood of Christ. And every time the enemy wants to bring up your past to remind you of who you are, he's a liar. And the blood of Jesus, the Bible says, speaks of better things for us. 
So I don't need to be ashamed or embarrassed of my past. No, Jesus loved me right in the midst of that place and brought me out. And people need to hear that. He doesn't ask for clean fish to come. He says, just come and we'll, we'll work with you. So we've got to be honest. Number three, this is just, and these are just practical things. Ask how you can pray for them. And let me add this, and pray for them. Don't just say you'll pray for them, actually pray for them. Some people may not be ready to just say, man, sign me up. I want to be in the Jesus Club. Let's do this. And that's fine. Just say, hey, I just, again, here's the plate. If you want to eat, there it is. If you don't, how can I pray for you? You can pray that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened, that they would come to the knowledge of the hope of their calling. It's Ephesians 3. God, opened their eyes to see the real Jesus. Not the church Jesus, not the religious Jesus, like the real Jesus. Open their eyes. You can pray that. This fourth one is an option. Invite them to church. Even better, bring them. Hey, I'll come pick you up. Let me just say this though. When you bring a friend to church, it's dependent on your credibility with them. I could preach the greatest sermon of my life. But they trust me because they trust you. Just something to think about. Number five, this is the last one. And this is just a good thing to keep in mind. It's not a sales tactic. If people are just a number, they know it. They know it. We've all had that salesman. They said all the right things. They were slick. It's a good salesman. But at the end of the day, I was just a paycheck. They said all the right things. They did all the right things. They promised all the right things. But, I mean, they're my best friend when I'm sitting there with them. Tomorrow they won't know my name, though. See, we have to invest in people over time. Sow some seeds. Water some seeds with patience. Sometimes people, and it clicks and it just, boom, they're ready. But sometimes we have to be willing to walk with people. Don't feel the pressure like, oh man, I didn't close the deal. They didn't pray the prayer of salvation. I guess I missed it. No, you were part of their story. That God is using Because they still have a right to make a decision. I mean, it's amazing when they're ready. That friend that I told you about in high school. I didn't even have the confidence to lead them to the Lord. Because he asked me, he said, man. Because he wanted to know. He said, David, did you find Jesus? I was like, yep. He's like, I knew it. I won't go into the details of why, but I was not nice to Christians. Let's just say it that way. I was very vocal about how stupid I thought they were and all kinds of dumb stuff. But when I got saved, he wanted to, he was like, man, I want to. And I'm thinking, I don't know what to tell you to do. Let me go find somebody that I think is like a good, strong Christian. And then they led them in the prayer. And I thought, I could have done that. But I was so intimidated by the moment that I was just like, ah, I don't want to screw it up. Felt the pressure, you know. 
It's not a sales tactic. We don't have to be pushy. With gentleness and respect, we tell people our story. And then we just leave room for the Holy Spirit. Because he's the one who's working. Paul said it this way. Because there were some arguments about, you know, who different people were following this and that. In 1 Corinthians, Paul said it this way. He says, I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together for the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for, their, for his own work, hard work. It says we are both God's workers and we are God's field and you are God's building. So as I'm wrapping up this morning, here's what we can do. Number one that we can plant the seed of the gospel. How do you do that? You just share your story. You just tell people out what God's doing in your life. Let me add another little caveat to that. Don't just tell people about what God did in your life. Tell them about what God is doing in your life right now. I mean, for me, I got saved 26 years ago this summer. Well, I could take you back to when I was a 16-year-old kid and got saved, but, but what, what is Jesus doing in me as a 42-year-old man? I'm not that kid anymore. But the same Jesus that saved me at 16 is the same Jesus that wants to work in me at 42. He's still working. And so don't just tell the same old story. You need a fresh story too. You can, say, you can tell both. There's nothing wrong with telling both. Just make sure you're telling both. Don't let it just be some old thing out of religious obligation. No, we can plant the seed. We can water the seed. But ultimately, it's God who brings the harvest. In other words, there's no pressure on you. You live your life before God. God will bring those people across your path that you can share your faith with them. And so you can do those five things that I just told you about. Be yourself. Don't be different. Be honest about your past. Ask how you can pray for them. Invite them to church. Treat them with dignity and respect and honor and be gracious. That's attractive to people. That's the way Jesus did it. He was only harsh with the religious. You won't find a place in scripture where Jesus was anything but gracious with anybody that was a genuine seeker of the Lord. He just got ticked off with the religious folks. And we don't want to be those people. And so I want to pray over you this morning as we're wrapping up service today. And I'm going to give you an opportunity. You may be in this room and this morning, you, you may have even come to the thing of like, man, I thought I was saved, but, and I'm not trying to get you to question your salvation, but you got to know. And, and it's very important for you to be able to answer. I know that I'm saved. Not because somebody else made a decision for me or somebody else told me to go walk an aisle or somebody else told me to raise my hand. I know that I'm saved because I've surrendered my heart to Jesus. And you may have been like me and you've raised your hand and you walked some aisles and you did all these things. But you know in your heart that you've never really surrendered. You've never said, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Which means, hey, you're in charge. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's why we follow and we don't lead him. Because he leads us. 
And so I'm going to lead us this morning in a, in a prayer of salvation. And I, I, I'm going to pray over us first. But I'm going to ask you, if you're here today and you want to pray that prayer. Maybe you've been away from the Lord and, and it's just time to come home. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You say, why do you do that? Just to help give you the words to say. There's nothing special about my prayer. I just want to help you. I'm your friend and I want to help you. That's why I do that. But I want to pray over you this morning. I want to pray that God's going to open our eyes to see the harvest around us. And so let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. Father, I thank you for the conviction that you bring into our hearts. Father, even those times and those moments where we may even be apathetic or or maybe just so encumbered with our own life, Father, that we don't look up. Father, I'm going to ask you to open up our eyes to see the opportunities around us. Father, that the harvest truly is plenteous. It's bountiful. Father, there are people who are longing to know you, longing to have a sense of, of reality of who you are. So, Father, I thank you that even the promptings of the Holy Spirit will come even as we're going about our days. Even as we're in the stores and we're at work and we're just in our neighborhood, Father, I thank you that we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, that you would prompt us with those who are hungry around us. Those who are are seeking and looking and longing around us. Open up our eyes to see the harvest that's right in front of us. If you're here this morning, and and I'm going to ask everybody to pray this with me. But I'm going to lead you in a prayer of salvation. and, And all I'm asking of you is to put faith in the words that you're saying. I can give you the words to pray, but only you can put faith to them. And it requires faith to be saved. And so when everyone just pray this with me this morning and say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he paid the price of my sins. And I ask you to forgive me. To wash my conscience clean. That my past is gone. That I don't have to remember it in a negative way. But I can see it in light of the cross of Jesus. So Father, I thank you for my story. I thank you for saving me. For putting your spirit on the inside of me. Causing me to come alive to you. I thank you for it right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, just as a sign of support, let's put our hands together for those here in the room making this decision for Christ. Those online today.